We made it. It's 2022, and I don't know about you, but I am freaking ready for a great year. And to start things off, I've got a great episode of True Crime Binge for you. I'm joined today by a former BBC journalist who packed up her family and moved from the UK to Arizona and started a fascinating podcast. She's the host of American Vigilante, the one and only Sam Walker. The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. Right, so right before I hit record, you were telling me you were a little, you're jet lagged. A little jet lagged. I'm still getting used, frankly, to living in a country where when I say I've got a meeting with you at two o'clock, I don't know when that is. Because right. it depends yeah. where you live when that meeting is. You know, don't forget the country I come from is so tiny that if I say to you, hey, let's speak at three o'clock on Thursday, I, I know when that's going to be. Uh, <laughs> whereas here, I'm like, are you in Chicago? Are you in Denver? Are you in Dallas? Are you in San Francisco? I don't know. So yeah, I'm still getting used to it. So even though I've only just been away for a week within the US, still jet lagged, which is kind of mind blowing. As I said, teen, teeny country. Yeah, I, I had the same thing just a couple weeks ago. I had to travel. Uh, I skipped one, two, three time zones for work and it was only gone for six days, but it was just enough that I got used to the new time zone and then came back to mine and could, yeah, it just it messes me up for like two days on either end of it. It's I know abs- absolutely the the biggest trip is of course being in Arizona where the t- time doesn't change, uh-huh. but the time zone changes. So I have a long standing meeting with a team in New York on a Wednesday, and it's always been at one o'clock in Arizona, and now suddenly it's not at one o'clock anymore because it's four o'clock their time, which is now two o'clock for me. I, I'm uh... <laughs> my little you... British brain is like no. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, uh, does all of Arizona not do daylight savings time? No. So half the year we are the same time. We kind of, we're MST here. So not mountain time, but mountain standard time. So half the year we're aligned with California and half the year we're aligned with mountain time. So Denver and co. But we don't actually ever physically change our watches. We used, so I, I used to, be not as, it's not so bad for anymore because they changed it, but. So I live and I grew up right here, right on the border between Michigan and Indiana. And it used to be Arizona. There was three states. It was Arizona. I don't remember. Is it, it Hawaii? Utah? Oh, Maybe Hawaii, it I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Indiana used to not do daylight oh. savings time. So that was a nightmare. Because I mean, when I say from the border, I mean like a couple hundred yards from Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and in in Michigan where we live, this is very rural. So all like the city, if you want to go to the mall or go out to eat, you're going to Indiana. Well, they didn't do daylight savings time, and we did. So the place where we, like most people worked in Indiana, everywhere you went, for half the year we were on the same time, and then the other half of the year we were on a different time. And add to that, twenty miles to my west, it shifts from. Um, uh, Eastern time to Central time, 
still within Indiana. So I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute. So if we're going to South Bend, is this what time of year is this? Your time, my time, and then if we're going to go to Laporte, which is right down the road, well, they're on Central Time, but they do say like daylight savings time. It's worse. I don't know why we can't just keep it the same. I mean, you know, are we? What are we gaining? I'm so thrilled. It's not just me. Oh, it's you, it's, it's you know, I'm I'm so glad, Bob, that it's not just the British woman who doesn't quite understand how the time works because I haven't had to deal with it. I'm very glad it's still confusing someone who's been brought up with it. <laughs> it makes me feel better. Oh, yeah. It was so I remember it was I don't know, it's probably been to- close to 20 years ago now, but I remember when Indiana started doing it and it was like the Indiana people were in an uproar because they've never had to do daylight savings time, but all of us on the border were like, "Thank goodness." <laughs> like we can at least when we change, we change together so we're on the same time when we move. Right. Uh, I don't know why we still do, do they do daylight savings time in the UK? Yes, but that's because it would it's a pitch dark. It's so dark otherwise because our days go crazy because we're, you know, so it's dark by 3:30 in the afternoon in the winter. And if they didn't oh, really? change so you're trying to get the the mornings lighter as soon as possible. Um uh-huh. so they yeah. I think it's silly. I don't know. I, I think it was. I think in the United States it was originally done for farmers. I think so. I they think had the more same time in the UK, night. so they can actually see what, where their sheep are. I'm guessing. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were obviously people can tell from your voice. You were born and raised in the UK, and then how long ago did you move to Arizona? I moved to AZ in May 2019, and I had you know, a good six, seven, eight months of going, uh, how does this work? Everything here, it's very confusing coming to a completely different country with children trying to start again. And then COVID happened and I stayed inside my house for a year and a half. <laughs> so uh, it was not quite, not quite the experience I'd imagined. But, you know, luckily being an AZ, we have so much beautiful outdoor space. We have dogs, we have a mountain right on our doorstep so we can get out, we can hike. And so we were lucky to be able to do that. We weren't in a tiny apartment somewhere thinking, oh, what's happening? So, you know, we're trying to stay positive. <laughs> right. Well, you could look at it. You got a little buffer time when you moved to the U.S. to get used to everything before you yes. had to like go out in public. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have to do much driving on the because isn't when, when I was in the U.K. a few years ago. Is it now in the UK, the driver's the, the driver's side of the car is would be the right side. Correct. The driver physically sits on the right in the car. That's correct. Right. And then the in the the you drive in the left lane. Right. You drive on the left hand side of the road, yeah. Right. Which I thought was like all of Europe, but the people we were with said that like, no, if you just cross the border, that everyone else is on the other side of right. the road. You have and to go to Australia, Bob, to find other people who are driving on the left. So it's literally <laughs> the other side of the world. And I moved here to the US and I was just getting used to the whole, I'm on the right, I'm on the right, I'm on the right. I would chant it on the way to Target. I'm on the right, yeah. I'm on the right. <laughs> getting on the freeway, on the right, on the right. And then my mom, unfortunately, was sick and she lives in Australia. So I then had to drive to Australia and coming out of the airport going, I'm on the left, I'm on the left, okay, I'm on the left. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so I was curious about this and, and uh, the people I was with didn't really know the answer to it. So, what would be the closest country that you would drive that you could drive to where it shifts? Would be if you went to like France, if you were in the UK, to where they shift to the other side of the road. Well, yeah. Can you yes. drive to France? 
You can drive there's, to France, yeah, yeah, you can. You drive onto a ferry and then you drive off after 20 miles and you're in France and it's the other side of the road. Okay, the ferry, that explains it. Because yeah. I was thinking, how does the, like, if you're driving down the road, like on a bridge, at what point do you switch sides and well, how does that work? you can, yeah, even on the, so you drive onto a ferry and you drive off, but they also have the channel tunnel. So you can drive, but you're still driving onto a train, your car, uh-huh. you drive onto a train and then the train takes you through the tunnel. So you're not physically going whoop, jump, you know, not having to do some crazy intersection type thing. No, you you were always on another sense. mode of transport and then get off that and go, oh, here I am. See, it was it it, it was more fun in my mind to see everybody <laughs> like crisscrossing. Slash completely disastrous because everyone would mess it up, right? And it would be <laughs> right. awful. Yeah, <laughs> Just, there's there's a thousand accidents a day on the, on exactly. the French UK yeah, border. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so uh, you, have, you have kids, so you're, uh, you're married, you have daughters, two daughters? I have two daughters, yeah. I have a teenager. Well, she's 14, uh-huh. just, just not long turned 14, and a 10-year-old. So it's all the fun times. <laughs> yep. I have a 10-year-old and a 16. Well, I have, I have, I have a, a 10-year-old son, a 16-year-old son, and then a 15-year-old stepdaughter. So I'm all right in the same range. You are in that same zone, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 fun. Um, I say that sarcastically. It's not fun. <laughs> There's fun moments. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How did they adjust to the move? Um, it was interesting because the my older daughter was desperate to move. She, you know, we'd been to always been to the states a lot, and she was super excited to move. Um, we'd visited Phoenix, of course, and she'd loved it, and. She was saying, oh, I really want to go, I really want to go. And my 10-year-old, well, she was eight at the time, was like, huh, I feel a bit nervous. Will I make any friends? Are we going to fit in? What's it going to be like? And the older girl was like, it's going to be amazing. We're going to be the cool <laughs> British kids at school. And then, of course, we get here and it kind of switches. And uh-huh. my older one's like, oh, I really miss my friends in England. I mean, thank goodness for technology. The fact you can sit on WhatsApp or FaceTime and talk to people, right? you know, in our day, Bob, if we'd moved to that age, you know, it would have been a letter and three months later, you know, disaster. Right, so right. she was lucky like that. But I think it took her, it took her to Christmas, I think. So we'd been here in Maine and at the Christmas, you know, we sort of had a chat and she said, I think moving to America was the hardest thing I've ever done. But I now know that we could move anywhere and I'd make friends and it would be fine. And I think that's why we kind of wanted to do it, to, to teach kids that change can be frightening. But if you do it, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And the one thing we know about the world we're living in right now is that we have no idea what's going to happen right. <laughs> ever again. If the last couple of years has taught us anything, is that we need to adapt and we need to embrace change and we need to get on with it. So I'm really, really glad that that's the lesson that she took from it without any prompting from us. So that was really positive. But my 10-year-old, now 10-year-old, is completely bilingual, whereas my older girl loves her British accent and absolutely, you know, sticks to it. My little one arriving at a school where she was eight and the other kids in the class were sort of seven and even six, some of them, they didn't understand her. Mm-hmm. So she'd walk in and go, oh, hello, my name's Britta. Can I have some water, please? And, what? Who? What? So now when she was doing Zoom lessons um, during the pandemic, before they went back to school, I'd hear her on the Zoom lesson going, so, okay, I think my favorite reptile is an alligator, and I really do like alligators. And then I'd say, oh, do you want to drink? She'd be like, yes, please. <laughs> so <laughs> she, she has, she's completely bilingual, so she can flip her accents. And if you say to her, do an American accent, she can't do it. 
she literally can't. She's like, um, I can't do it. But if she's at school and I catch her talking to friends, it's like she's a native Arizonan. It's quite interesting. <laughs> that, that's funny because it's the second week in a row I was talking to someone about American accents. And my wife and I, we, we just had had this conversation about how she thinks that we have no accent. But hearing you imitate our accent. We, <laughs> it's, oh, it's, yes. And I Definitely did some distinct. reading. I volunteered to do some reading with some kids who were struggling with their reading. And there was a little boy who I was reading a book with all about the ocean. And mm. I was reading a line and he was reading a line and we were getting there. And at the end of a few days, I said, hey, why don't you have a go and you read the whole book now? And I'm going to sit here and you can read the book. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. And I was sort of biting my hand during him reading this book. And I will demonstrate by the very last line that he read because he went, the ocean is a place where fish love to play. Fish love being in the water. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, yeah, you can't get a British person to teach you how to read. This poor child is going to go home and his parents will be like, fish live in what? Water? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny because even in the UK when I was there, I really, because we traveled all the way from London up into Edinburgh, Scotland, and then back down. The, the different dialects there. So I would assume oh, from my wild. limited experience that you're from the southern part of the UK. See, I don't have an accent really because uh, I was brought up right uh, in the Midlands. <laughs> <laughs> but if you said to a British person, so I spent most of my career working in radio when I worked in the south and people called me that northerner. Because uh-huh. in, in the north of England, you say grass and France and path. And in uh-huh. the south, you say grass and France and path, garden path. Mm. Mm-hmm. And yet when I was in the North, people said, oh, you're Cockney. You're Cockney. Uh-huh. And I was like, what? No. So what's wild about the UK is that I moved here. I'd spent 15, 16 plus years in Manchester. And of course, mm-hmm. a real Manchester accent's like that. So you're like, you're all right. How's it going? What's this podcast you're doing? Right? All right. Interesting that. So you got that Manchester. 40 minutes, four zero minutes in the car. You're in Liverpool? Well, suddenly everyone's like that. It's like, all right, how are you going? Are you all right? And it's a completely different accent, and it's 30 miles apart. It's, it's mind-blowing, right. and that's what is incredible. It's, you can have this huge difference in dialect really, really close. Well, and, and I found that everyone thinks that everyone else is th- like has the worst accent, and you can't hear it. And when I was going, when I'm in London, they're like, oh, you're going to Newcastle. Like, oh, you're not, good luck. You're not going to be able to understand uh, that. No, I agree with that. Forget it. Uh, <laughs> I... I I was served recently in a restaurant here in AZ in, in Cave Creek and uh, by a young man. He went, oh, where are you from? And we said, oh, he said, oh, I've got relatives in England and none of them could understand what I was saying when we went to visit. And we were like, where were you? And he went off and he texted his dad. He came back and he went, Sunderland. And we went, yeah, there's no, no, we can't understand them either. <laughs> it's right. completely fine. <laughs> Sunderland, Newcastle, it's really not you. And he said, they all thought I talked like a cowboy. I was like, well, you, you do. Uh, but it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And see, we got to Newcastle. I was actually did all right in Newcastle. And then there are, but I think that was the hardest. What do they, they said that, is it a Geordie? Is, is that right? Yeah. So you got Geordie, which is Newcastle, and Mackham, which is Sunderland. And they're next door to each other and they're just impenetrable, frankly. Yeah. And then they're all, well, wait till you get to Scotland and Edinburgh. <laughs> you really won't be able to understand anybody. But I actually, I actually could understand the Scots better than I could understand yes. the Geordies. There's some special Glaswegians, which. What? Sorry? Mm? Say again? You know. <laughs> yeah. But generally, no. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah, Newcastle. I, I had I had a rule 
that I wouldn't ask somebody to repeat something more than three times. And my, we get to the hotel and my wife asked me to go down and get some water. First of all, the hotels were so different. There's tiny, like we walk in this tiny little room compared to what you see in the States. Yeah. And then there was like no, like she wanted a bottle of water. And I went down and asked the clerk at the desk. I'm like, Where, uh, is there anywhere I can buy a bottle of water? And she said some words. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, it, I couldn't even piece it together what she was trying to say. And I was like, I was like, I'm sorry. Well, could you repeat that? And then she's like annoyed, like, oh, I said it over there. And I was like, what? One more. I'm sorry. It's, it's me. It's not you. Could you just? And she said it again. And I said, okay, thank you. And I went back up to the room. And <laughs> Becky said, where's my water? I'm like. I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. And then the idea. girl on the desk is saying, I just asked him if he wanted still or sparkling water. And he just said, thank right. you and walked away. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like she could have pointed. I think we found out later she was trying to tell me that I could get buy it at the bar. But she could have pointed. She could have helped me out. But she didn't at all. I just gave up. Like just drink something out of the faucet in the room. I don't know if that's oh, yeah. okay here or not. But it is, luckily. Yes, yeah, so we'd I can't all find die first, the water, yeah. and that lady was not helping me at all. What was in- <laughs> amazing? So, so you, what brought you to the states? Because you were a you were a journalist with the BBC for what, like sixteen years? Four hundred and fifty years. Yeah, I was at the BBC <laughs> for uh, um, essentially. We wanted to do something completely different. We wanted to get out, meet people we would never ordinarily meet have experiences give our kids experiences Mm -hmm. uh my husband works in tech and was offered a job here um i knew you know with with my experience as well there was there was work available for me i was offered work here as well and it was that scary thing of taking that big big leap of trying something you've always wanted to do but going but you know i've got a good job and i've got a really nice house and i love all my friends and my dad is nearby and why would we throw all that up to go and live in the desert? Uh, when you look at it like that, it seems a bit of a crazy thing to do. And then we thought, well, what's life if it's not for adventure? What's life if it's not for trying something completely different? What's the worst that can happen? Quite a lot of bad things did happen. And we, we found the answer to that question. But <laughs> it was really a case of saying, let's take a leap into the unknown and live because it's quite easy, isn't it, not to live and grab sure. life really by both shoulders and give it a shake as opposed to, especially when you are very lucky, if you're lucky enough to have a good job and have a good, nice home and have that unit around you, you can kind of think, yeah, but am I really excited by what I'm doing anymore? And I think we're a family we've always wanted to go, that was great. What's next? <laughs> what can right. we do now? What can we do now? So, That's you know, awesome. the desert called us. It called us. And we were like, okay. Here we go. Let's dive in. That's that's amazing. I'm I'm jealous in a way because you know uh, my wife and I we've been together for ten years now, but um, you know we're we're a reboot family, so we both have previous marriages and our kids are with. So we've never you know, we both work on the internet, so we could go anywhere we want yeah, to. And there's right. definitely those moments where you're, it was just this past year. Um, I, I, I'm I'm a pretty avid outdoorsman, and through the pandemic, I got to be like, I really leaned hard into that because I, I can't be sitting still in my house all the time. Mm. Um, and I was out on a, a hunting and camping trip in Montana last spring. And it was just like, oh my God, it's beautiful out here. I love it out here. I love the people out here. 
And like those, that may have been one of those moments where you're yeah. like, I didn't even thought about like, why don't we just, let's just sell our house and come out here. But when you have another set of parents attached to your kids, that's not an option. You're pretty yeah. much staying where it, you're at. That is tough. And, you know, I've got friends mm-hmm. in the same situation who are actually, you know, they got together, but are still living ones in LA and ones in Chicago because their kids are still in high school. And they're like, we're going to uh-huh. have to have a completely remote relationship until our kids are done with high school because we can't, like you right. said, there's other sets of parents and it's you know, that blended family. But I remember I, I did a podcast in 2015 called What Goes On Here. And at the time I was, I was doing like six days a week on the BBC, presenting, you know, hosting six different shows across the BBC network, six days a week. And um, I knew I really wanted to tell stories about people who had faced these huge roadblocks in their life and how they got around mm-hmm. them and what they did. And um, I knew I wanted to tell the stories in a way that wouldn't fit into the sort of framework of a radio show. Because we know that radio mm-hmm. shows are like, oh, the news is at this time and then the travel is at that time, you know. And right. you can't have these stories. So I made a podcast and I was lucky enough to get it commissioned by Audible. And we made four seasons of it. And in one of those interviews, it was with an amazing man called Craig. And Craig had been in his um, early 30s and he'd been living in a really awful apartment that had actual rats. I mean, it was a dump. And then he was working in a job he hated. He's always wanted to be a writer and he'd never done it because he'd never really known how to do it. So he was working in this car showroom and he hated it. He didn't have a girlfriend. She'd left him. And he was like, I hate, you know, everything about my life. And he got home one day from work and the landlord said, I need to put the rent up because there's a big problem. And and he was like, now you're putting the rent up of somewhere I hate living and I can't even afford it doing a job I hate. And he thought, I can either work even harder to stay in a life I don't like, or I can throw it all up in the air to go and try and get a life I actually want. Mm -hmm. And so he did. So he quit his job and he quit his flat and he made himself homeless and he moved into a park and he took pads and pads of paper with him. And he said, I'm either going to write a book and write my way out of this park and into the life I want to be in, or I'm going to die. And he wrote the book. And it won awards. And he's an absolutely incredible man. I'm not suggesting anyone should do what he did. It was a huge, right. huge risk. But sometimes we find ourselves working really hard for a life we don't want to be in. And I thought that was really interesting. And he said to me, think about your dreams and what your dreams are and what you really would love to do. They're not the same as anyone else's dreams. You know, I could say to mm-hmm. you, oh, do you know what? I just would love to move to Arizona and ride horses and be outside and uh, and people would be like, why would you, why would you want to do that? You know, I want to go, go and live somewhere completely different. Why don't you want to be on a beach or why don't you want to be there? And he said, the thing is, what if your dreams aren't your dreams? They're your real life calling you. And it was like, huh, wow. hmm, that's an interesting thought. And he talked about when the moment you take a risk is a bit like climbing onto a diving board of a swing pool. You're kind of standing at the bottom and you're looking up all the steps and the ladder and you think, oh, I can't go up there. It's too frightening. It's too frightening. It's too frightening. And so you slowly start to climb up. And the more you climb up, the further away from the ground you're getting and the more terrifying it is. And then eventually you get right to the top and you think jumping off is going to be the most frightening bit of the whole process. But in fact, jumping off is exhilarating. It's not frightening. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of how he saw about taking risk. And I was like, yeah, I'll take that. I like it. So that's now my attitude to risk taking. (laughs) Right. Well, that's that's incredible. And I didn't realize you got your start in podcast that early. I knew that you had, after, was it after you guys moved to Arizona, you created the Desert Diaries podcast. 
Yeah, so I'd been working along. Yeah, I'd been working alongside when I was doing my BBC work with a bunch of people. I'd, I'd set up a production company in the UK, and I was making a bunch of sort of branded content and different podcasts for them. And then, yes, you're right. Moving here, I started Sam Walker's Desert Diaries, which is what it's like to leap off a diving board, <laughs> you know, in uh-huh. midlife uh, with kids and move to the desert and move from lots of rain to a time when you pick something up and there's a scorpion underneath. Ah! So, um, it, and being Arizona. There's a few wild things that happened here, not just wild as in the animals, but the people. So um, that goes out on BBC each week, but is also a podcast. So it's just like a little audio postcard, if you like, um, mm-hmm. just 10 minutes a week of the crazy things that have happened that week. Right. And then th- this all led to then you creating the podcast we're going to talk about today, mm-hmm. American Vigilante, which just came out in, se- in September. It was 12 episodes. It concluded in November. It's it's so unique and so amazing. And what I found interesting, if 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 I have the stats right, you left the UK, moved to the United States to make a podcast that then rose to the number one true crime podcast in the UK. Is that accurate? Well, I was already here. I was already right. here. I, I didn't I didn't I mean the I didn't move to make that podcast, but right, right. when when Casey came into my life I was holy smokes. Uh, the world needs to know about this man, mm-hmm. and um, and that is what has ensued. And you're right; it became the number one true crime podcast in the UK, the number two podcast in all podcasts in the UK, which was incredible. So, American Vigilante uh, features a bunch of interviews with a guy that you call Casey, uh-huh. and and he's he's this vigilante for hire, and he's telling these incredible stories. Um, how like how did this come to be? How did you come in contact with this guy, and how did the the podcast start? Like, where 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 the idea come from? How did this happen? I was introduced to Casey. Um, when I say introduced, I haven't met him. I don't know mm-hmm. where he lives. I don't know what his real name is because he is someone who, when it becomes very clear if you listen to the podcast, has operated outside the law for a long time. So mm-hmm. it's not like he's going to go, "Hey, here I am. Here's my address." <laughs> So right. I was introduced for him in, to him. Uh, again, I'm going to leave that grey because of security. I guess well, it sounds a bit dramatic to say that, but for uh-huh. want of tracing him, um, very briefly, I'd been in Arizona um, about a year, and I'd unfortunately had a really horrible experience with a gangster-type landlord who threatened me and my family, and it was really frightening. I mean, actually frightening. I had to, the police were involved. I had to get escorted away because he was, it was awful, awful, awful experience. And again, coming from the UK, open carry isn't something we come into contact with when we're, you know, in right. an altercation with somebody. So being threatened with a weapon is really frightening, I think, for anyone. But if it's something that is absolutely nothing you're used to seeing, it's absolutely terrifying when you've mm-hmm. got small children. And not long after this experience had happened, a friend of a friend of mine here in Arizona got a message to me. What that guy did to you was wrong. I said, yes, it was wrong. What are you going to do about it? I said, well, I just need to be away from him. It was too frightening. I just want him out of my life. But he shouldn't be allowed to do that. Well, whatever. This is what happened. Mm-hmm. What, if, um, what if someone took him out into the desert, taught him a lesson? excuse me? Well, you know, these things happen. What? <laughs> I mean, I was like, uh, do they? And I refused <laughs> the offer 
thinking, right. holy smokes, what? But the more I chatted to people, I've got friends who are from Oklahoma. I've got friends from Kentucky who were like, oh, yeah, someone knows a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. Nobody batted an eyelid. So when I was introduced to KC, I thought, I, I know people like you exist. Mm-hmm. Now, knowing whether people like KC exist is very different to knowing KC because I think he is incredibly unique. But that is how that happened, is when someone said, look, there's someone, he's been doing this for a long time. He has some stories to tell. My initial reaction was, is this guy for real? But I didn't doubt that somebody like him was for real, if you see what I mean. So I started, Mm -hmm. I think, at a different point to a lot of other people in the UK would have started. So when you started recording these conversations with him, did you do it with the idea in mind that you were going to cr- turn it into a podcast or so that was that was that the idea from the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And he he was at the stage of his life where he wanted people to know what he'd done and he wanted people to know people like him existed. His his real motivation is there's a lot of bad guys out there and they mm-hmm. need to know people like me exist. And I'm here to tell you what I've done and what other people like me are doing. And maybe they will think twice. Yeah, it's, it, it's very, it has a vibe of, it's almost like, I know you're, you're into pop culture, so maybe you're, uh, you're, you're familiar with some of these, but it's like the Boondock Saints and Dexter kind of rolled into one. Did, or do either of those references land for you? Boondock Saints, no. Dexter, yes. Okay, yes. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's that, and it's that sort of, I mean, Batman. <laughs> right, Batman's yeah. a vigilante, right? You know, uh-huh. and there's a lot of Marvel characters who were vigilantes as well, who go in and they write wrongs. And mm-hmm. and this is absolutely the point of view that this man is coming from, that, you know, um, I'm here to write a wrong. Yeah, and so so uh, Casey's kind of MO is that he uh, he goes after bad people. And, mm-hmm. you know, his, uh, I, I listened to the, to the first episode and it's just, the guy's a good storyteller. It's fascinating. He's telling the story of how, um, he rescued or did an extraction mission, uh, that he did to save three children. Um, and then, you know, the, the story is just every episode, all these stories. Have you, having, having gone, you know, gotten to know the guy and recorded all those interviews, do you feel like, do you think all the stories are true? Because it's, it's one of those you listen to, it's like, man, this sounds like something from a movie. This mm-hmm. guy could be completely full of it. Right. I, I don't know. What was, your, what was your, your feeling after all the time you spent talking to him? You want me to tell you the ending? <laughs> huh? Well, so <laughs> I'll because, leave that up to you. The idea yeah. here is, mm. is, is that, that folks want to go listen to it. So I'll let you spoil well, whatever right. you want to spoil. Well, no. I, I'm saying that because it was really important to me to take the listener on the same journey that I went on. Uh huh. I started talking to this guy, and I'm like, "Is he for real?" Everything you've just said to me, is he for real? Uh huh. This guy's a really good storyteller. Uh huh. Huh. Is he making this? Is this guy a bus driver? And he's a fantasist. Mm -hmm. But when you listen to him, and it's really important to say, this man made me cry. He made me angry. He shook me up so much. I would sit in a chair for two or three hours after a recording going, oh my 
God, what have I just heard? You know, it it's heavy. That first episode is, oh my gosh, the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. And I had all these emotions going on the whole time. And I was like, well, I want the listener to come on that same journey with me. It is not up to me to tell you whether you believe him or not. It's not mm-hmm. up to me to tell you whether you think what he does is good for America and society or bad for America and society. Is he the good guy? Is he the bad guy? Again, that's up to you. And I think in a way, we're living in times now where we are asked constantly to join a tribe and to nail our colors to the mast. Are we pro-vaccine mm-hmm. or we anti-vaccine? Are we pro-Biden or are we anti-Biden? Do we think the presidency was stolen? Do we not? Do we believe in certain women's rights for women's bodies? Do we not? What do we do? You know, everything, we're bombarded constantly. What's right? What's wrong? What's right? What's wrong? I must know and I must know now. And mm-hmm. you must decide which camp you're in. And what this podcast does to me is say, maybe there's a gray area here. And right. sitting, sitting in that gray area is really uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. And I think if we think about it, though, a lot of the things we're constantly asked to choose sides for, in the middle is also really uncomfortable. But we, we, it's easier, isn't it, just to go, I believe in that, and I'm not even going to entertain anything else you know once we've decided what side war and if you like it's really easy to dismiss anything that that challenges those beliefs Mm -hmm. and so with kc listening to him actually listening to somebody who comes from a completely different viewpoint to my own a completely different culture to my own has very strong beliefs in in things that are alien to me gun control isn't something i've ever had to consider i'm a british person we don't have guns in the way that guns are available here in the states Mm -hmm. and i didn't want to go in with any preconceived ideas about what i believed or didn't believe i just wanted to ask questions Mm -hmm. so to be able to sit with somebody for like 50 plus hours as we did and we go deep into a lot of things and to then think okay well do i believe him is it possible to be a vigilante and have rescued these kids and these adults and cleared out drug houses and be a really good storyteller? Would it be easier to believe him if he was a really bad storyteller? If he, if he wasn't eloquent? Right. If he clearly wasn't intelligent, would you believe him more then? Would you feel less uncomfortable about what he's done if he was some thug? If he was stupid and dumb? If he couldn't string a sentence together, you'd be like, oh, well, you know what? They're like those kind of people. The fact he's really smart and is really considered and he's cultured and read and intelligent. And these things can be very, very uncomfortable for people. And this is what I found fascinating. So this is where I kind of tried to step back and go, okay, well, I'm going to talk to this guy and I'm going to ask him all the questions I can. I'm going to challenge him where I feel I should challenge him. And it's up to you to decide what you think about him and whether you believe him. And that's really the journey that we go on. That's awesome. I, I can't wait to finish it. Just, I mean, I was already hooked just from listening to, you know, I, I always tell people the great thing about me doing this is I get to listen to so many new podcasts. Yeah, right. <laughs> the bad part is it's really hard to finish them all because I'm doing two or three of these a week. Exactly. Um, but some of them, this is definitely one of them. I want to I hear the rest of it because it, and I love like everything that you just said. Like my, it's no secret to my audience. It, it's, they, they all know that Politically, I'm extremely independent and I'm in that gray area all the time and it's so yeah. uncomfortable. It's hard. All those, yeah. all those issues you just talked about that, you know, I, as I always say, I, I, I know that I'm, that I'm firmly independent by the fact that 
my Republican friends think I'm a Democrat and my Democrat friends think I'm a Republican. But it's <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> but it's 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 like it's just like you said. It drives me crazy that that we have become a society where you have to every issue, whether it's masks or vaccines or whatever the next thing is, where you have to draw this line and you have to mm-hmm. pick a side. But I agree with you. It's so much easier to be on the side. It's much easier to have that blind so much party loyalty and just be like, well, if it came from that side, it's bad. If yep. it came from this side, it's good. It's very uncomfortable and very difficult to be in the middle and try to weigh everything on its merits. Because usually the answer is, you know, some of that's good. Yes. Some of it's bad. Maybe if the two of you would stop being assholes and talk to each other, we could come up with something in the middle that actually works. Uh, but we don't see that. But no, no I love that. Hard. I love that viewpoint. I'm super excited to um, get through the rest of the podcast. And my listeners are too. Like so this is, it's. Uh, I'm assuming it's 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 from some of your connections back there that 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 brought it to popularity in the UK. But it's 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 quality. It's great storytelling, and that's what makes something the number one podcast in the UK. Mm. I think it could be the number one true crime podcast in the US when people give it a listen. Uh, so check it out. Her name is Sam Walker. The podcast is called American Vigilante. It's 12 episodes. It'll be a great holiday true crime binge. Thanks so much for joining me, Sam. And I cannot wait to finish your show. Really good to meet you. Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.